collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, City Church Eastside. Good morning. My name is Dan DeCrisio, one of the elders here at City Church. So glad that you're with us here this morning, right before Thanksgiving. I think we're going to talk a little bit about food here today. How many of you have seen this sign? We're going to put it up on the, uh, the screen there. Yeah, you've probably seen that before. Where, where do you see that at? Chick-fil-A, yes, Chick-fil-A. So simple, yet so profound. I guess there are some people out there who really don't care about good food. My college roommate was one of them. He actually ate canned pie filling for dinner. And he would chuck it out the back door of our condo. Uh, that's a true story, by the way. Uh, We'll talk more about him maybe some other time. But I'm not one of these people who don't care about food. I know many of you aren't. Definitely Pastor Scott. He's a foodie. We're a lot of foodies in this room here. Now, if you know know, me a little bit, uh, I'm a traveling toilet paper salesperson by trade. And one of the perks of my job, I get to uh, visit uh, cities all across the United States where my customers are. And one of the things I make sure that I do on on my trips, in addition to uh, selling the two-ply is going and visiting uh, the diners, drive-ins, and dives that have good Yelp reviews out there for lunch. And here's some evidence from the, uh, the iPhone here. Maybe, too, you've mastered the art of taking the discreet foodie picture and then posting it on social media. But right there to the left, a good old Philly cheesesteak. Now, that's a 10.30 in the morning Philly cheesesteak. Before I got on a plane to get back to Atlanta, I just had to. I just had to. Oh, in the middle... The love of my life, in addition to my wife, of course, the Polish platter from Tata's Pierogies in Rosemont, Illinois, right outside of Chicago there, and on the, the right, or the extreme left, I'm sorry to say, move over Fox Brothers, the best barbecue I've ever had in my life, a Q39 in KCMO, Kansas City, Missouri. Now, friends, you know, food is much more than delighting the taste buds and filling the belly, okay? It's about family. It's about intimacy. It's about those close to you. And we got some pictures up here, of course. My wife there on the left, we were just talking about her. Uh, we're enjoying some red beans and rice at Coop's Place in one of our favorite places, New Orleans, Louisiana. And then, of course, in the middle, good friends of mine, Uli and Trey, enjoying a little bit of mezcal and probably something with uh, green chilies in it in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And an old man-maker picture there, Mr. John Hours, who's joining us here with, uh, with us today. John and a couple of other guys on the way back from Asheville. You can see an unmustachioed Ben Bradbury there. <laughs> unmustachioed, having some bow time, bojangles. But food's just not about filling the belly, tickling the taste buds, and hanging out with those close to you. It's about fellowship. 
It's about outreach. It's about bringing diverse groups of people together. And, and you know, we were just talking about this right after church. We're going to be having um, our Northside gathering at the Hempels about bringing people together, friends and neighbors. And we've been doing this on the South Side as well, too. Here's a couple of pictures from our South Side gatherings. We had the, the great fire pit s'mores at the Learson's backyard and at D.H. Stanton Park. And on the extreme left there, that's our boys' mentoring program at Barack and Michelle Obama Academy, where we, we actually, before their standardized testing, we brought them in a bunch of sushi, because sushi is brain food. Omega-3s, they actually loved it and really ate it up. So, uh, friends, as we talk here, you know, um, I'm really uh, sorry that I showed you all of these pictures right before lunch. Especially the cheesesteak. I'm probably making you hungry there, but hey, we're just an hour away from lunch and four days to the holiday that all of those things we just talked about are really brought together and wrapped together where we give Thanksgiving and we probably eat too much food, but we sure do enjoy it. But my ask to you today, as well as myself, and Christian prayed about this, is that we know all this stuff is coming up. We're going to be around a lot of people eating, breaking bread. Let's not waste those moments. Let's not waste these moments. The, the food, the family, and the fellowship together, it's so easy just to blow by it, you know, and then we find ourselves in January, right? Let's not waste these moments. They're important. And Jesus thought they were important too. I mean, all through his ministry, what was he doing? He was eating and drinking so much so that they called him a glutton and a drunkard. He was always coming to at or leaving from a meal, if you don't believe me. Just think about it. He feeds what? 5,000. You know, he was anointed at a meal with Simon the Pharisee. He eats at the home of Martha and Mary. He invites himself to Zacchaeus' house. Remember, Zacchaeus, get out of that tree. I'm coming to your house. He urges dinner guests not to just invite the powerful and the wealthy to their, to their meals, but actually the poor as well, too. Of course, we know the, the Last Supper and what we talked about today in our passage. Uh, we have Matthew Levi, eating with the sinners. Now, food is important to the good news of Jesus because good food is like the good news of Jesus. Think about it. It requires sacrifice. It requires sacrifice. It satisfies. It nourishes. It delights. It invites the friend and those who are far off. It provides energy and life for another day. So as Truett said, make it good. Make it good. So here's our three points uh, for today, uh, friends. Uh, the good food, the good news of Jesus does three things. It summons the sinner, it saves the sinner, and it sends the saved sinner. Three things. It summons, it saves, and it sends. So let's jump right into it here. Our scripture today begins with what? Jesus calling Levi. So we're going to read that. I'm going to put it back up on the screen for us here. He went out again beside the sea, and all of the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, also known as Alf, sitting by the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now, there's three things I want us to pull from this, three quick subpoints, if you will, that's interesting uh, at least to me, where was Jesus? He was beside the sea. Where was Levi? He was in the tax booth. And he said, follow me. 
where was Jesus? Where was Levi? And then the call to follow Jesus. So Jesus is out there by the sea, as we talked about, preaching and teaching, starting to attract crowds. He's raising up disciples. And some of those early disciples were who? Peter, James, John, Andrew. So who were these guys? Who were these guys? They were the fishermen. They were the fishermen. Jesus is preaching by the sea, hanging out with the guys who really knew the sea. It's a familiar place for them all. You know, the fishing business was how Peter, James, John, Andrew put food on their table by taking those fish in and selling them, of course, for a profit. It was part of their business. And we, of course, know the account where Jesus was blessing these guys so much so they cast their nets on the other side of the boat. They brought them up and the nets were bursting and it cut Peter to the heart so much so that he said, you know, through this blessing, stay away from me, Lord, for I'm I'm a sinner. But why would a tax booth be by the sea? Why would a tax booth be there? I mean, a bait shop, maybe a chip shop, maybe, but a tax booth. Well, I'm sure this tax booth had a just awesome vantage point of of the port and the the shore. With all these uh, people coming in with their goods, wanting to sell them, and especially the fish, right? Coming in with their, their nets and their fish and the catch of the day to do what? Ideally to go out and sell them and make a living, but not so fast. What did they have to do first? They had to visit the tax booth. They had to pay their tax. Now, this is, this is important here because we've got to understand sort of the context of what's going on. The Jews at the time were under the authority of Rome. They were under the authority of the Rome, and the Roman leaders would go around, and they'd be hiring uh, some of the Jews to do what? They would, they would be hiring them to become tax people. They'd say, hey, you want to make some big bucks here? Well, go out and extort your own people to pay for the Roman roads and the Roman army, the folks who actually go out and oppress you. But get this, you get to skim some money off the top for yourself. The Jews did not like the tax man. Not at all. They got rich by ripping off their own people, just like the money changers in the temple where Jesus flips those tables over as they're ripping off the people making sacrifices for their sins. So imagine this. So Peter, James, John, and the rest of the crew, they returned from a hard day of fishing. Likely the first thing they did was get ripped off, potentially by Levi. Awkward, right? It's an awkward situation here. You've got the disciples, Jesus, and Levi, the tax man. His disciples be like, Jesus, what are you doing? This is a bad guy here. This is a bad guy. We don't want anything to do with him. He's the sinner. What does Jesus do? Follow me. I know Peter. I know James. Follow me. Jesus calls Levi. What does Levi do? He takes action. He says, I will follow. Here's your U2 reference, Scott. I promised him I'd put a music reference in here somewhere. There we go. He said, I want a Bono reference. I will follow from the first record boy. These are the ways of Jesus, friends. These are the ways of Jesus. Everybody needs him. He's for everyone. No one is righteous. Not one, as it says in Scripture. Levi, Peter, James, John's, everyone, us here in this room, in the eyes of God, we're all in the same boat. 
We're all in the same boat, no matter how great we think we are or how terrible we think the things that we have done without Jesus, we're still way far off from having a relationship with God. My old pastor in in New York used to say this. He said, uh, imagine you're on the top of the Empire State Building and you're looking down at the sidewalk, admiring the people walking in the streets, and you think to yourself, oh, how much further above them I am. But you are relatively the same distance from the sun. You're relatively the same distance from the sun. Jesus is not interested in your resume, friends. He's not interested in your resume. He's interested in your heart. Your heart. Is it contrite? Is it curious? The writer of the psalm that we read here this morning is King David. And we know that his heart was in the right place. Uh, It was put there through some suffering and bad decisions. Of course, on his part, we know a Levi in the tax booth. It appears his heart was there, too. I mean, both uh, King David and him likely had a lot of money. You know, Levi was a tax collector. He was likely rich. But something was wrong with his heart. He was sick. He was hungry. Jesus summoned him, not because of anything that was good in him. He summoned him because he knew he needed a doctor and he needed to be fed. And I encourage us, friends, here this morning that we too ask God to help us get our minds and heart in that same place. It's a tough place. It's an awkward place. But it's a good place. That's where Jesus especially meets us. So next scene in our text this morning here. Where are we at? Party time. Dinner at Levi's house. And we'll read the scripture here. We'll put it up on the screen. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. Now, if you've been following the sermons over the last couple of weeks, I think you might be picking up on a theme with Jesus here. Probably picking up on something here. You know, David last week and and Mike earlier this year talked about who? The paralytic man. The man who had the palsy, right? We talked about that. The man's friends, well, they bring him to heal his disability. They dropped him down through the roof. But Jesus does that, but even more so, miraculously, he forgives his sins, which only God can do. Scott, a couple of weeks ago, talked about the leper. The leper. Normally, if you hung out with lepers, you became a leper, right? Scott had a story about that. But what happened? Much more than that, miraculously, the leper becomes clean. He was unclean, and now he's clean. Tim Chester, in his book, A Meal with Jesus, says this. and We'll put it up on the screen. This is God's grace in action. God's grace welcomes the outcast and brings transformation. Suddenly, it's not uncleanliness that's contagious. That's how it was in the old Levitical system. But with Jesus, it's holiness that is contagious. It's holiness that is contagious. We see Jesus consistently uh, confronting the old ways, the old ways of doing things, the old systems, and turning them around, flipping them really on their head. With Jesus, it's always expect the unexpected, We've got tons of examples, of course, in Scripture about this. Jesus is flipping the script. Now, enter the Pharisees. The old Pharisees. The old 
punching bag a lot of times of all of us and Jesus here. But hey, we're going to give them going to give them a break here for a second. Let's be easy on these guys. I mean, they were just trying to keep the law of God. Which, by the way, the Jews failed at for many years. They lost it. They've forgotten it. They've screwed it up. They're just trying to, 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 to you know, make sure people are being obedient to it and, and into them themselves. The challenge is, is in all of that, they just got way too wrapped up into it. It became an idol in and of itself. And they ended up missing the point. They ended up missing the point. Their enthusiasm for laws was not leading them to how the law is summarized, which is what? To love the Lord God and love your neighbor as yourself. It led to the opposite. Instead of inclusion and being a blessing to the nations, it led to exclusion, keeping up appearances. Not much different than what we struggle with here today when we miss the big picture, when we miss the point. So what does Jesus do, who, by the way, is a faithful Jew? What's he doing here in the meal? It's quite scandalous, isn't it? If you think about it in context, it's quite scandalous. New Testament scholar Scott Barchi says this, It would be difficult to underestimate the importance of table fellowship for the cultures of the Mediterranean basin in the first century of our era. Mealtimes were far more They were far more than occasions for individuals to consume nourishment. Being welcomed at a table for the purpose of eating food with another person became a ceremony richly symbolic of, and listen to this, friendship, intimacy, and unity. When people were estranged, a meal information opened up a path to reconciliation, a way for reconciliation. Again, what Jesus was doing in this this context here with these people in the room, it was scandalous. Compared to the religious, the political, and the cultural systems that create classes, castes, rules, and barriers, how Jesus saves, it's scandalous. It flies in the face of what we'd expect as people in the rules of this world. You don't eat with these people. They are sinners and tax collectors. They're Republicans. They're Democrats. They're black. They're white, they're rich, they're poor. We don't eat with these people. What does Jesus do? He confronts that. He flips the script. The meal becomes a way of outreach, a way of reconciliation. Sometimes we just can't help building gated communities. I mean that, of course, here metaphorically, illustratively. I mean, even VeggieTales got it right. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, some of you are like, I know what you're talking about. You know, poor Larry the Cucumber. He kicked his ball over the gate. And they're singing a song in the gated community. He says, can I have my ball? Can I have my ball? They just leave his ball on the other side of the gate. You see, Jesus, what does he do? He breaks down the gates, the hostility by providing a way of reconciliation. Here, the scandalous meal, Jesus demonstrates that it's the good food. It's me, the good news. As he says in John, I'm the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Let us notice and savor these ways, friends. Let us imitate them. And notice Jesus speaks truth here, some hard truth without spoiling the party. 
Notice how tactful he is and wise. Wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. When the Pharisees question him, he simply responds with, Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. I always like to imagine how Jesus says these things. You know, we watch these movies and all the religious people have these very regal, formal voices, you know, like Charlton Heston. Maybe Jesus was just like, y'all think you're good? I'm just going to work with those who need help. Okay, you guys are cool. Pasta, matzah. Okay, let's move on. Here we go, guys. Could have said, he later says, you brood of wipe, vipers, not wipers. You brood of wipers. Uh, your father is the devil, of course, but that was in the right context, right? Here, he's not spoiling the party. Jesus saves who? The sinner who knows he's a sinner. Whose heart is contrite, is curious, in the right place. He comes with truth, but what amazing grace. But this grace just doesn't leave you in your sickness and in your hungriness. It does what? It feeds, it transforms, it brings life. How do we know this? How do we know this? Levi, the mean, evil tax collector, is transformed. Levi becomes Matthew. Matthew, who writes the gospel of Matthew, the gospel that especially connects the Jewish Jesus to the Jewish Old Testament as well, too. Something he was really passionate about. And, of course, Matthew quotes the Old Testament a lot. We're going to give you a little scripture here in Psalm 69. Christian read it this morning. They offered him, Jesus, when he was on the cross, wine to drink, mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. Matthew, he knew, he knew Jesus. He was there with a lot of these meals with sinners. Of course, he was in our text here this morning. He was with him through a lot of the teaching and the examples and the signs and, and wonders, and of course, at the resurrection there. And he knows one thing, that Jesus tasted the spoiled food. He tasted the spoiled drink so we don't have to. He tasted the spoiled food. He choked it down so we don't have to. We receive life. He receives death. That's the gospel. We receive this not because of the good that we do and that we earn it per se. It seems foolish to the world, right? That that would be the case. Because we're very works-oriented. What have you done for me lately? Show me your resume. This whole cross-gospel thing, this whole grace thing, is foolish. It seems like it. But that's why we receive it by faith. That is especially what God is interested in here. Your faith and faithfulness. It's not perfection. Faith and faithfulness. It's different than perfection. He's calling for our faithfulness in these things. And that's what we remember at another important meal that we're going to take here in a little bit. The Lord's Supper. Jesus serves the bread and the wine. It symbolizes the work he was about to do, the work that he did, and the work that he accomplished. It symbolizes him. And we take him in, as Mike always likes to say when he prepares us for the table. It becomes a part of us, the good food and the good news. It nourishes our body and our soul. Jesus says in Luke 22, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Again, Tim Chester says, the Lord's Supper uh, may be more than a memorial, but it's certainly not less than a memorial. Each time we participate, we're reminded of that foolish cross, right? 
We're reminded that our sin is atoned for, that we're free, forgiven, acquitted, and adopted. We're reminded that the cross is our model. We're called afresh to do what? Lay down our lives to serve and to sacrifice. And in some ways, all of the meals that Jesus has that we were sort of rattling off there early in, in our talk here today, all of the meals sort of point to this. The party thrown at Matthew's house, the Lord's Supper, of course, points to the wedding feast that we'll experience someday, you know, in the end when he brings the beautiful bride, the church, to the feasting table in Revelation. So what do we do with this? So if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, we know a couple of things are true. You've been summoned. You've been summoned, just like Levi, just like Matthew. You've been saved, but you're also sent. You're also sent. We should ponder this this morning. We're all sitting in this room for a reason. We're all sitting in this room for a reason. We're living in Cabbage Town, South Atlanta, maybe Portland, Oregon, for a reason. We work as an attorney, nurse, homemaker, builder, toilet paper salesman, for a reason. We shop at Publix. We get our car washed at Mr. Hotshine, maybe, if that's still called that. For a reason. We've been summoned, saved, and sent with a purpose. And we're sent as an ambassador into these places that God has brought us to. As big and as little as we think they are. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah was famously confronted with his own sentness in Isaiah 6, 8. He says this, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. I will follow. Christian blogger Eric Hesse says this about Isaiah. How did Isaiah arrive at this posture? He arrived there through a deep inward transformation, radical reorientation of his priorities, values, and ambition, fueled by what? The grace, the gift of God, the gospel. It cut him to the heart. The good news and the good food of Jesus, friends, this morning should send us out to imitate Christ, to do the same as Jesus, that we too would be breaking down the gates, the barriers that religion, politics, and culture love to build up and protect so dearly, and that we would get that good news and that good food to the people, and that we too would provide a path of reconciliation, both vertically with God through preaching the good news, but also horizontally in making peace between one another, because as it says in Corinthians, we are given the ministry of reconciliation. And also as a church here, as a church body of believers, that we'd be faithful just like the early Christians in Acts 2.42. And I paraphrase, they devoted themselves to teaching. They got together for the North Side and South Side Fellowship. They were involved in DNA groups. They broke bread and prayers. They had chili cook-offs. They ate s'mores together. They had a lot of fun. It wasn't quite such a burden because they are receiving the gospel. They were receiving one another with gladness and thanksgiving. They were fed by the good news and the good food. 
So a challenge for us to today, how can each of us, between now and you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas, not waste opportunities to bring the good news and the good food to those in our midst? Not waste opportunities. It's so easy just to sit there and veg out during this time of year. It can be very stressful. Again, trying to keep up appearances, putting too much pressure on ourselves, and then we are just out of gas by the time New Year's comes around. We can waste it, the opportunity. Say that we would be intentional in our hospitality, intentional to, to, in our conversations, as Christian prayed this morning, to bring encouragement and delight in the good news. That we would invite someone in our midst who may be lonely, outcast, and we'd invite them into fellowship. And I say these things not because we don't do them. Many of us do these things. I see it here at City Church already happening. It's an opportunity to fan this more into flame by the gospel. And we might draw heavily on this gospel and this grace because we need it when? When we're not inviting our friend, right? It's when we're breaking bread with our enemy. And I, uh, and I encourage us here this holiday season to take stock of who, maybe who those people are. Maybe they're not literal enemies, but they are the person maybe you curse when you're driving down the road in your car after you got a text message from them. How do we return that with grace in an invitation for fellowship? And I encourage all of us too, how do we, how do we as a church community here celebrate all of this with joy and thanksgiving? How do we celebrate that with joy and thanksgiving? It's for us to remember what Jesus did and what Jesus is doing to summon, save, and send us as ambassadors of reconciliation for the benefit of each other and his kingdom. Let us pray. Father God, Lord Jesus, thank you for uh, our time together here this morning uh, as family, as friends. Oh, we love the good food. Uh, We love your good news, Father. It's so easy just to bypass it uh, and uh, not make much of it. But let us make much of it. Let's slow down here this holiday season. I know that can be very difficult. And just savor the moments that we have with one another. Give us an extra measure of grace to be able to do this and that we would be light and salt to those in our midst, that we would feed them with the good news and the good food. Father, we pray these things in your name. Amen. One of the things we do here at City Church Eastside is uh, we take time to really reflect on what we just heard. The, the word goes out and it does not return void, Isaiah tells us.